Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are, this is week 16 in our series on 1 Corinthians, and we're going to continue on looking at verses 17 through 34 this morning from chapter 11. 1 Corinthians. As you turn there, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look into His Word. God, thank You so much for the availability of Your Word this morning that we've got Bibles and we can share the Word openly, Lord, and and so we thank You. God, we pray that we would honor You and we glorify You in the way that we uh, engage with Your Word this morning the way that we give you our attention and affection, and the way that we submit and surrender ourselves to you. God, please help us this morning. God, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the gift of understanding and that you would give us the gift of faith that we could receive your word and walk forth in obedience to you for your glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? What do you not have? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with this world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together it will not be for judgment. About the other things which I give directions when I come. Now, there's a whole, just like last week, there's a whole bunch of 
information in the background that it's helpful for us to understand as we approach this text in regards to communion. Now, you have to remember back in the day, the the churches would not gather in in a church building. This is the first century. They did not have church buildings. No one had a church building. So you met in homes. So you'd, met, you'd meet in someone's home, and usually it was in the home of someone who had more, more of a higher income because you needed a larger home to house the church. And so the wealthier members then would host the church gathering in their homes. And the meal which they partook, the Lord's meal, what they're calling it, was more than just kind of like a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. This was a whole meal. It's like a potluck. People would bring different different dishes. We'd all gather together. We'd all eat together. It was a big deal. It was a big celebration. It wasn't, you didn't take communion in a matter of two seconds. You know, this was like a whole, this is a big process you'd go through to have this communion meal together. It was more like the Last Supper, right? So it was, it was, it was, a, it was an actual meal that you ate together. Now, if you remember, the, the purpose of 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians, is, to, is Paul challenging and addressing the church to be united in all things. And Paul begins by saying, look, in the beginning of the book, look, I don't want there to be any division amongst you. I don't want there to be any division amongst anybody in the church. The church needs to be united. So that's kind of floating around the background. So that they meet in homes. It wasn't just a, a quick communion thing. It was a big meal that people would all bring food to and eat together with, as well as Paul's desire to address the divisive problems in the church. And they had a ton of division in the church. People suing one another, people having sexual relations with other family members and no one's really caring about that. People, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on in this church they had issues with. This is only one of many issues Paul begins to address. Now, you also have to remember there's, there's problems outside of that. And so there were socioeconomic issues they had in Corinth. And if you remember, Corinth was an up-and-coming city with much, much uh, resources pouring into the city from outside. And so there's, there's a, a, a growing, wealthy class in Corinth. But there wasn't necessarily a middle class. It was either you had or you had not. And so you had a lot of people who had, had nothing, and you had a few people who had a ton of stuff. So there's a socioeconomic division as well as a a, a patron system that they had in Corinth in the Roman Empire. And so you'd have a wealthy individual who would then surround themselves with other people who would say, hey, look, these people are going to support me and help me if I need something. I can call on this person and and they'll they'll help me out. It's kind of like, if you remember, we've talked about this in the past, but like in, in East Chicago, there was the sidewalk six where the, the government, the mayor and his kind of crony said, look, if you will vote for me, I'll, I'll give you a sidewalk or a driveway or a patio. And, and so there was this thing, well, hey, look, I'll get a little something from you. You get a little something from me. And we'll work that out. Well, that wasn't illegal in these days. This is just the system that they had. And so there's these people with lots of stuff, no middle class, with a whole bunch of people who would then help come to support this wealthy individual. Now, the way in which the church would meet is they would all go to someone's house on different days of the week. Sometimes it was Saturday, Sunday. It just depends on what the church did. Now, when you would go to the rich person's house to meet for for church, 
what would happen would be is that the rich people, because they had more available time, would get there early. And they would bring the good food, right? The rich people brought the good food. In particular, they brought meat. Meat was a big deal. People just didn't have, couldn't go to the grocery store and get a whole bunch of meat. People couldn't afford that. But the rich people had meat. So the rich people then would go to the house early and start eating the meal. Because, hey, we're hungry, the food's ready, let's eat. But what also happened was, is so the dining room would fill up first with people, and then there would be an overflow room, and that would be the courtyard. So there would be an outer courtyard. So the people who had to work all day in the hot sun, who had very little money, would have to show up later because there was no day off in the Roman Empire at this time. There was no, they didn't have like a, a Sunday, which we have now, which most people have off of work. So people would show up late because they'd been working all day, get to church to celebrate the communion, the meal, and guess what? The people inside the, the dining room have already started eating the good food while all the poor people are outside in the overflow because they had to show up later to eat what they brought, which wasn't a whole lot. So there's two divisions happening. There's almost like two churches happening. The people with all the money, with the good food, would show up to eat the food. The people who showed up later would, would come and bring the little that they had, and they'd have to eat in, in the outer courtyard away from the rich people. So you can see the division and the problems that would arise from this. Because, you have, again, it's only it, the church should be a place where people are coming together, but it's only when they're eating together, it's only reinforcing the very things that's happening in their, in their culture already. The church doesn't look any different from the culture at this point. So Paul begins to address this head on. So the bottom line is this. The VIPs, we get the good seats and the good food. Everyone else would have to sit out in the courtyard and eat the, the meager rations that they had, if they had any at all. Now, what's the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ has died in our place. Jesus Christ has, has given his life in our place, taken our punishment upon his body. That when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we turn away from our sins, we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ that he died for our sins, we are forgiven, we're given a new name, we are restored, we're filled with his spirit. God changes us. There is a change that happens inside of us. Not only that, not only are we reconciled to God, as it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but if you look over in Ephesians chapter chapter 2, it begins to talk about our reconciliation, not only with the Lord, but with one another. Okay? So there's a reconciling that we have between one another as brothers and sisters. And so what, what Ephesians 2 talks about is there's a dividing wall of hostility that stands between people in this world. And particularly, it was Jew and Gentile, but you could bring that across to say white and black, rich and poor, old and young, whatever, div whatever divisions that we bring up in this world that we have against other people. And he says, look, what Jesus Christ has done is that he has abolished, he has completely destroyed, he has gotten rid of this, this dividing wall between people so that now, therefore, we are one person. He says he's taken these people from all different Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, white and black, old and young, whatever division we want to make. He says, look, he's taken people from all spectrums of life and he's brought them together. And he says, now you're one person. And that is my people. We now belong to God. 
So that is what the gospel does. It, it brings us together and unites us and transforms us and changes us into a new people. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now, what is communion? Communion is a remembrance of the gospel. Communion is a way in which we say, look, this is what Jesus Christ has done. He says in verses 23 through 26, do this in remembrance of me. As we take communion, it is an opportunity for us to remember all that Jesus Christ has done, particularly at the cross, where we see him has given his life for us. It says, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering. We are remembering his body, which is broken for us, his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. That is what we are remembering as we take communion. That once we are separated from God, but now we've been brought near. Once we are alienated from one another, but now we've been, we are a new people. We are a new person in Jesus Christ. We take the cup and the juice, we proclaim that he will return again one day. That we are a new people. Now, have any of you been to the 9-11 memorial in New York City? Everyone's ever been there before. A few people have. It's, it's, it's an overwhelming experience. And a few years ago, Michelle and I had an opportunity to go to New York City. And New York City, I'm really not a city person, but New York City was just it was over the top. I mean, it, was, it is loud. It is fast-paced. There's people everywhere, cars everywhere, buildings everywhere. I mean, you just can't. It's like Chicago on steroids. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Now, you have all this going on around you, and you get to the 9-11 memorial. And you go through all these security checkpoints, you wait in line, and as you enter into this memorial area, it's like the noise and the busyness and the loudness and everything that's going on around you all of a sudden comes to a complete stop. It is dead quiet in there. I mean, it's so still. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. There's, there's these huge reflection pools, which were the footprints of the two towers. And these reflection pools are, on, the, on each side is 200 foot in length. Okay, so huge, these huge 30-foot reflection pools that drop down into the earth, which are the footprints of the two towers. It's, so each one is about an acre in size, which, to give you a perspective of what an acre is, it's from the end of our parking lot here on this side of the building to the street over here. So we're on, this church is on an acre plot. It's that size, 30 foot down, this huge pool. And the pools itself hold 550,000 gallons of water each. Okay, on top of that, they have got water that runs down the sides all along the edges of the pools. Now, to give you a perspective how much water runs over the edges of both pools per minute, 52,000 gallons of water per minute that run over these pools. But it is unbelievably quiet. The mood is serious. The mood is somber. And around these huge holes in the ground with all this water running is a plaque that runs across the whole edge of it and has all the names of the people who died 
on 9-11. 2,983 names written across those plaques. This is how we remember the people who've passed away. It's quiet, it's respectful, it's serious. Now, contrast that with 4th of July. How do we remember the 4th of July, our Independence Day? We blow stuff up, right? I mean, let's be honest. That's how we celebrate our independence. We, we light off fireworks. We, there's a lot of the loud explosions. There's, there, you know, the bigger the better. It's like, man, it, we can't get a big enough explosions, right? That's how we remember the 4th. If you go to John Skirtish's house, he's got big sticks of dynamite that he blows off and sets all the car alarms off in the whole neighborhood. And that's fun, right? That's, how, that's what we do. Now, with, we'll get back to that in a second. Think about this. The Corinthian issues, Paul says this, when you come together, it's not for better, it's for worse. It's actually worse when the church gathers together than it would be for them just to stay home. That's how bad it's gotten. There's such division in this thing that it's actually for worse that they would get together. And communion was actually not a source of unity in the church. It's actually a source of division. The very people that were proclaiming Jesus Christ were now, this is a source of division. He says, look, some people pay no regards to the other people. The rich people, the VIPs, right, in, in the dining room are, are going to town on the food that they've got. They weren't drinking juice. They were drinking wine. And they're getting drunk while the other people in the courtyard are sitting there doing nothing with very, very little to eat, very little to drink, and nobody cares. He says, look, some of these people, these, the poor people in the church are leaving hungry. They didn't get enough because you've, you've pigged out on all the food that you've brought. And then he goes on to say this. He says, look, in verse 20, this isn't even the Lord's meal that you're eating. This is your meal. Look, this isn't even recognizable as communion. This is only your meal, about yourselves, about what you have. And he says, because of this, in verses 27 through 32, because of this, some of you have gotten sick, and some of you have actually died. So you've gotten sick and died because of this. This is such a serious issue. See, the purpose of communion is to celebrate the most amazing sacrifice of love and mercy this world has ever known. That is what communion is. It is celebrating the most... It's remembering Jesus Christ leaving heaven, reconciling rebels to himself, showering people with grace and mercy and love, forgiving us, restoring us, having mercy on us, showing kindness to us. And what Paul's saying is like when we show up to take communion and we have got bitterness in our heart, and we have got unforgiveness in our heart, when we are unwilling to share with people who have less than us and we withhold from them. It's like when you do that, when you, remember, when you remember Jesus Christ in that way, when you remember Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of his life and his death, when you remember Jesus Christ and all the mercy and grace he's lavished upon you and you show up to that meal with that kind of attitude in your heart, it's like showing up to the 9-11 memorial with a stick of dynamite saying, here's how I'm going to celebrate remembrance. 
It makes no sense. It's disrespectful. It's unbelievably inconsiderate. It would make a mockery of what, what this thing represents. He said in the same way. And now you can see why it's so serious that Paul says, look, some of you have gotten sick and some of you have died. This is a big deal. For all that Christ has done for us. When we approach the communion table with prejudice in our hearts, unforgiveness, or an unwillingness to share what God has given to us, we make a mockery of all that Jesus Christ has done. And that is why he says it's better off that you don't eat. Man, if you need to eat, go home and eat. As I was preparing this message this week, I, I, believe the, I believe the Holy Spirit is at work this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit's at work. And if you sense the Lord putting His finger in an area of your life that you have been unwilling to reconcile with somebody, you've been unwilling to say, I'm sorry, or there's a bitterness there, or an anger, or even there's not it, an openness in our own hearts towards others who have nothing. I want to encourage us that we've got a moment to get right with God. I even think about just on our national scene, the whole refugee crisis and some of the rhetoric that we hear from different politicians about our... And I, I get it, as a nation, the different politicians do not represent the church or God's people. But just this idea that those with nothing who are looking for a place and for food, and for shelter, for us to come and say, no, you will not come in here. The priority for us is safety, and is not your well-being, and not your care. It is not a gospel priority. Safety is not a gospel priority. Us looking after, and sharing what we have, and caring for the people around us who have nothing, that is a gospel priority even at a great cost to us, even at the cost of our own safety. That is the gospel priority. And I believe that's the very thing that Paul's getting at here. Saying, look, the people with, with food and with the time to get there early and, and all, the, all, all that they have are going ahead and eating without any regard to the people over here who have nothing, who've showed up late because they've been working in the blistering sun all day and have no food, they can care less for one another and it makes a mockery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, look, don't call this communion. It's not communion. You're going ahead with your own meal. Don't make a mockery of all that Jesus Christ has done for us in uniting us and bring us back towards, towards God and towards one another by celebrating in a way that completely obliterates any resemblance of what Christ has done. But here's the thing. 
we should ask ourselves this question as we take communion, because we've all done this. I'm not saying, I, look, I, I'm not guilty of ever taking communion in a way that I had bitterness or unforgiveness in my heart. Why are we not punished more directly, more often, right? It's scandalous grace that as we take communion every single week, that most of the church doesn't drop dead after communion. I mean, this is scandalous grace we're talking about here. The grace of God towards us that said, look, I'm going to continue to invite you back to the table every single week with an opportunity to get right before each other, to get right before God, to receive his grace, to receive his mercy. No matter where we've been this week, no matter what we've done, no matter our attitudes in our hearts, we can go to the Lord in repentance and receive mercy and grace over and over and over again. That is the good news of the gospel. That all repentant sinners, no matter how far we have strayed away from the Lord, are welcomed back to the table again. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what Jesus Christ has done. So there's a, there's a looking back. As we, as we are preparing ourselves to take communion this morning, there's a looking back. Lord, are there areas of my life where I've been withholding forgiveness? Are there areas of bitterness in my life that I need to get right with somebody? That in a sense I'd need to leave my gift at the altar and go, go, go make things right with them right away. There's also a looking forward. God, am I prepared to give generously from the, from the things that you've given to me? Am I prepared to share, to help? God, am I prepared to treat people not as second-class citizens, but am I prepared to love and to extend hospitality and that same grace that you have given to me? The gospel, Jesus Christ died in our place so that we could receive mercy, be restored and redeemed. We're going we're gonna to celebrate communion this morning. And I want to encourage us if there are those areas of our lives that God has put his finger on this morning, that we would not take communion until we've got made those things right. That may mean putting it off for a week or two weeks or however long it takes, but that we would take God's word seriously and that we would reconcile with God and reconcile with one another so that when we take communion, We can do so with a heart of gratitude that we have been forgiven. That even in all my mess, God made a way for me. He's forgiven me. That we would continue to declare the good news of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. So what we're going to do this morning is we'll we'll pass out the elements. If you need to pass them by, there's no shame in that. We'll put the elements back on the, the counter. If some of you need to get right with someone in this church, maybe after the service, you can take communion together afterwards or maybe not at all this week. But let's take God's word seriously this morning. They're going to pass out the elements. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, God, we take your word seriously. Lord, I pray that as your Holy Spirit brings God conviction 
as your Holy Spirit brings hope and repentance, God, I pray, Lord, that we would not fight against you. God, wherever you are calling us to, to do, whether it's a phone call, a conversation, a letter, whatever it may mean, God, I pray that we would be willing, Lord, to declare your unbelievable gospel in all that we do. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord Jesus, with faith to receive the good news of all that you are and all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.